Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Well, even on a week of Thanksgiving, I know that we do have those things that we carry. So let's just take a moment, and uh, why don't you cast your cares on the Lord? Let's do that. Uh, Last night, we had an amazing thing happen. Uh, Casey uh, Scritchfield's mother-in-law, who has Alzheimer's, uh, disappeared yesterday in Ohio, and it was like, where hands are tied except for prayer. And uh, so we were rejoicing about four hours later when she was finally found. Did I get that right? Did I do something wrong? Okay, you're not sure. Okay. Uh, anyway, yay God for that. So cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Why don't you do that right now? Thank you, Lord. Now, speak, Lord. We're listening. In Christ's name, amen. Study of Outrageous Joy. Been a look at the book of Philippians. Have you enjoyed this series at all? All right. I have as well. I always hate to leave a book because whatever book I'm in is always my favorite one. (laughs) Uh, My personal goal for today is to rest in the assurance that God is in control. Maybe some of you need to hear that again, to rest in the assurance that God is in control. I'm going to pick it up, Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 2. And this is going to build. There's a couple of themes here this morning, uh, but I couldn't get away from any one of them because I think they're each valuable to different individuals in the room today. So verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, and and that is a person. We don't know who that person is. I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So you look at that first section of scripture there, and it looks like some kind of a division has happened between these two women, maybe an argument, maybe during a Thanksgiving dinner something unfolded, and we've got a little bit of a problem. But to be really honest with you, there's a conflict in the church. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It's nothing new under the sun. Jesus had taught that by this all men would know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. You can check that out in John chapter 13, verse 35. Yet even in the early church, we have examples of conflict. And we don't know what the conflict is over in this issue, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the, The important thing that we understand is that in this conflict, God isn't being glorified. That that. In, in this conflict, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there are things that have to be dealt with. It has to be resolved. Um, it's, it's taking away from the mission of the church. Now, this particular conflict happens to be between these two women, Yodia, which, whose name means prosperous journey, and Sintike, whose name means pleasant acquaintance. Nice names, but their names aren't doing them any good at the moment right here. I want you to notice, though, that both of their names are written in the book of life. It says that right there, meaning they both know God 
and they're both known by God. They have a secure position in eternity. I also want you to notice that Paul says that they contended by my side for the sake of the gospel. And you can almost read in that that though they have contended by my side for a positive cause, right now they're contending with each other. The reality of the Christian experience is that the possibility of us living in harmony with one another is humanly impossible. (laughs) We're like two porcupines trying to keep each other warm on a cold winter's night. How is that supposed to work? Very carefully, right? And, And why is that? It's because we all have quills, and we do best to keep our quills down. If you you understand a porcupine, you know that those quills are there for no other purpose than a defense mechanism, right? And what we tend to do is get our defenses up, which leads to all sorts of arguments and a crazy cycle that doesn't do anybody any good. So there's a couple of practical offerings Paul gives us here that I just want to point out. First, I want you to notice the verb Paul uses in addressing both of them. I plead with each of you. I plead with you, Yodi. I plead with you, Sintiki. And what he's doing is he's giving the impression that he's talking to these ladies individually, uh, wanting them to understand that they both have contributed to the conflict and they both need to contribute to the resolution to this conflict. There's fault on both sides, and, and rarely will, the, will, the, will there ever be an exception to that rule. As pastor, uh, sometimes I get really confused, and, and some of you can relate to this, because uh, you know two people have a conflict with each other, and, and rather than being able to talk to each other or work toward a re- resolution with each other, in their search for empathy, they'll go and talk to someone else. So the first person comes and, and talks to me, talks to you, and they share their story, and you listen to the story, and you say, you're right. Yeah. But then sometime later, you get to listen to the other side of the story, and you listen to this thing, and you think, you're right. <laughs> and, and so the big question is, how can both people be so right and yet at the same time, be so far apart. And what it's rooted in is this. It's, it's a refusal to let the issue go. It's a desire to see that other person change. When in reality, the only person whose change you have control over is your own. And as long as you're bringing in the other person's part, you know, it's, it's more about how we can be Jesus for them. So each of us in cl- conflict uh, must look at this and ask how God might want to use it to fashion us more into the image of, of Jesus Christ. It's about taking ownership of our side of the conflict, but this requires humility, <laughs> and, and we don't like this. Okay, now I know right now quills are going up, right? Yeah, because cause we can justify our position here. But notice the solution Paul offers when he says he urges these two to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, we know what that mind is because we saw it in in chapter 2. And just look at part of this this in in chapter 2, starting with verse 5. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mind, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself becoming by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And right there lies our, our dilemma, this, this dilemma that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Will we lay down our lives for one another? Will we take such a risk as to allow ourselves to be vulnerable in, in this situation? Jesus Christ laid down his stand. Jesus Christ laid down his position. Jesus Christ laid down his argument. He took a risk and he did it for us. And I know right there, arguments start to fly, right? But, but you don't understand. You don't know what I live with. You don't know what I'm, I'm going through. And, and so we take up our weapons. We, we fight for our rights. And when we do that, God isn't glorified. Nobody wins. And all we have is this crazy cycle going on. And, and so the challenge becomes this, that we recognize this is not about us becoming doormats. This is about, about us in strength being willing to be changed in such a way that God can use us to minister life instead of death into this situation. And so the application here, and, and I think we need to just kind of move on in a minute, although there's one more thing I need to point on before I do, I do move on from here, is that if this is stirring in you, the reality of some unresolved conflict, that you would please consider doing everything in your power to go and make that thing right. You know, Jesus said that if you're coming to make your offering, this is in Matthew 5, and and there you discover that a brother has fault against you. It's, It's not even your issue, it's theirs, right? He says, leave your offering there and then go and be made right with your brother. Then come back and give your offering. Very important in the kingdom of God. Matthew 18, another place where if if someone is caught in in sin, that you as an individual are to go and restore your brother. And if they won't listen, take one or two others with you. If they won't listen to that, bring it to the church. If they won't listen then, then at that point you can treat them as you would a, a tax collector or, or a sinner. He, he even says right there, do everything in your power. Okay, just one more thing, and then we'll move on, because there's so much good stuff in this teaching. And that's in verse 3, where I referred to the true companion, and I pointed out we don't know who this person is. But what we need to see right there is that there is a time for the body of Christ to get involved in conflict. I've already pointed to Matthew chapter 18, where, you know, first you go to that person. And if they won't listen, then take one or two others. And so there may come a time where we need to step in, but I think the important thing that we need to recognize is first, let the two of you work this out, okay? I plead with you, he says. It's urgent. Work this out so we can get on with the mission, but at whatever point they can't resolve the issue, then he invites us, you, me, to get involved and help to bring uh, healing to, to that problem. Help these women, he says. So God just might want to use you in bringing a resolution in, in, in one of these difficult situations. Well, let's go on. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Today the word has been thanksgiving, and that's appropriate. But this word rejoice certainly carries with it the idea of thanksgiving. It's important that we remember that this is written by a guy who's unjustly sitting in a, in a Roman cell. There are circumstances in life that God doesn't particularly expect us to be deliriously happy about. Okay? We don't rejoice in every situation. There are actually times when we should be angry. So it doesn't say rejoice always, but notice what it says. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And why is that? It's because our one constant is the Lord. Not circumstances, not people, not stuff, but the Lord. So when circumstances, people, and stuff are disappointing, the Lord is a source of joy we can tap into. Okay? But there's a second thing here, and that's the word Lord. Okay? Paul finds joy in knowing that the Lord is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's overall, that he rules over everything with absolute power and control. And the only reason things may seem to be in a mess in a moment is because God is letting some things play out in their perfect time. But we can know that there's going to come a moment when the whistle's going to blow, that God's going to call end of game, and he's going to declare glory and victory. And that's part of what feeds our joy. But he not only rejoices that he's sovereign, he rejoices in the Lord. And that's, that's the third thing that I notice in this, in this uh, verse right here. And, and that is, he's, he finds joy in knowing he has a secure position with the Lord. And who the Lord is. I mean, have you ever been in a relationship with someone and just to get around them sparks joy in your life? Have you? You understand what I'm talking about? They just put a smile on your face, right? I mean, maybe it's because they breathe security. Maybe it's because they breathe hope. Maybe because they bring comfort. Maybe it's because they cause you to laugh. And we can name a number of people who could be a a parent, a child, a friend, a teacher, a coach, a student, maybe a pet, you know, someone else. But you walk in and they put a smile on your face. And this is the Lord. There's joy to be found in the presence of the Lord for no other reason other than who he is. Joy. Tap into this joy. Paul found joy. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's keep walking. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. All right, now the word gentleness, please don't let that word throw you, okay? What, what this word is describing is a sense of safety. It's describing a sense of security. It's, it's describing a sense of calm confidence. It's a call to relax. It's a call to, to chill out, all right? Or, or it's a call, as my daughters would say, breathe, Dad. And I think we can relate to this. Let your peaceful assurance... In the storm, be a witness to others that somehow you know it's all going to work out, that it's going to be okay. Uh, John Wesley, part of the second great awakening, 
was, was out in a, in a ship in a terrible storm. And everybody was panicking for their lives, except for this one group of people called the Moravians. And he was attracted to this. John Wesley, a spiritual leader, he wanted to know, how can you be so calm? They're actually worshiping in the storm. How can you be so calm in this storm? And they shared with them the reality and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they shared that with John Wesley. And uh, that led to him eventually walking on Alder's Gate and feeling his heart strangely warmed by the person and the presence of God. How does that happen? Well, it's because of those last four words right there where it says, the Lord is near. You can have this calm assurance because the Lord is near. And that means two things, actually. You can read it either way. Number one, it means the Lord is with you right now. And that gives us security. But it also means, number two, that the Lord's coming is near. And therefore, you can have confidence because although it's difficult now, there is coming a day when it's all going to be set straight. (laughs) And this is exactly, exactly what God used to lead Michael Discoli to the Lord. If If I were to describe my home growing up, it wasn't a home of calm confidence. It was a home of fear. And we didn't give thanks to the Lord nearly as much as we expressed panic of certain horrible things that were sure to befall us, 99.9% of those things that never happened. And, and, I, and I just remember, I don't know how many times, hearing my, my dad say to my mom, I don't know how we're going to make it, Gene. And a seven-year-old boy, I don't care, boy or girl, hearing those words, it's not breathing life, it's not breathing confidence in that little boy. So then, when I met a kid in fifth grade by the name of Pete, and this kid had an amazing confidence, this amazing assurance, whether he said it or not, and he did say it, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out, Mikey. I don't think like you do, Mikey. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. I was attracted to that. I wanted to know what that was all about. And the best Pete could do is just say, all glory to God. Yeah, yeah. So, so I gave my life to the Lord, created a huge conflict between my dad and I. My, I was always the apple of my dad's eye until I became one of those protestants, Right? But 1996, Thanksgiving 1996, last time I will ever speak to my dad face-to-face. Home for Thanksgiving. Been through a series of battles. My dad wasn't well health-wise. 71 years old. We're playing dominoes. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I think you're going to make it. And he laughed. And he said, you know, I think you're right. And I just had to share that story with some of you because you're not sure how you're doing in the race and and you want to quit. And I want you to hear from my dad, right, today. If my dad can make it and he did, so can you. With God, you will get through this. And that's going to come out loud and clear next week. Put your trust in him. The Lord is near. You are not alone. (laughs) There's peace to be had. And hearing those words. 
All right, so now we come to the major part of our text today, and this is a word, wherever you've been this morning, as far as, uh, you know, being able to relate to what I'm sharing, this is one that I think probably all of us can relate to. Let's look, starting at verse 6. Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything. Should I say it again? I'm actually not saying it. We're reading God's word, you know. It's not me at all. This is God-breathed stuff. And God says, do not be anxious about how much? Yeah, it does say that. You have the same version I have. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Yeah, it's a good term for today, right? Present your request to God. Now listen to this and just let it speak life into your soul. Look at this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Anybody need to hear that? Anybody need that kind of peace today? Yeah, I do. Worry, worry, this word worry, anxiety, worry's a joy killer. Can we just say that, that worry might be the biggest joy killer on the planet? Maybe. Or maybe it's whatever you're dealing with at the moment. <laughs> That's the biggest one, right? Someone talks about their 93-year-old mom, okay? Mom, 93 years old, she lives simply, she lives comfortably in, a, in, assisted, in an assisted living center, Uh, Though she has ample savings, she's always worried about her finances. So my brother-in-law tried to help, saying, "I've, I've done the math, I've calculated all your expenses, you have enough money to carry you through for at least the next 16 years. To which this dear 93 year old mother in law says, that's fine, but how am I supposed to make it after that? And it's the same way, whatever life stage you're in, it's a walk of faith. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Did you get your daily bread today? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I don't see birds storing up worms. That'd be really gross, right? But is there a worm today? Aha, there it is. Yeah. Uh, Now we could argue for the worm, but who's going there? Anxiety. The Greek word literally means to be pulled in two different directions. You've got hope pulling you one way. You've got fear pulling you the other way. And guess what's happening? You're being ripped apart. Our our English word worry comes from an old English word that means to strangle. And, And isn't that what it does to us really? It chokes the life right out of us. In fact, if you want to see it in Jesus' teaching... Go to the parable of the sowers, of the sower, and Jesus says right there, some people, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, and he goes on to give some others, the worries of this life, that's what we're talking about, choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think it would be safe to say that worry is the, the greatest addiction on the planet. 
Huh. But, but we're, we're so spiritual in church, we deny it. We say, oh, I'm not worried. Greatly concerned, yes, but not worried. Huh? Yeah, because we're so spiritual. I was talking to a guy who helps people overcome addictions several years back, and he was talking to me how the way to have, one, one way to help people have victory over their addictions is to help them place the, replace the destructive activity with a productive activity. And so right here we come to this summary of the verse we're looking at, and we could summarize it this way. How about this? Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Yeah, just hold on to that one. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. So worry's the destructive activity. Prayer's the constructive activity. But what I have to appreciate about Paul right here is he doesn't just give the pat answer, I'll pray about it, or pray about it. But, but instead, what does he do? He gives us these three words. Notice them. Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Let me just break those words down with you real quick. Prayer being a general term that involves the act of presenting your need to God. But hold on a minute. We already know from the scriptures, Matthew 6, I believe, where where Jesus tells us God already knows what you need before you ask. So if we're presenting a need before God, then doesn't presenting that need also include an element of adoration? And here's why. It's adoration because of the confident assurance we have that God already knows the need and he's already responding. So it has to include this element of thankfulness, even though that's being repeated in just a moment. And think about this. There are many attributes of God. We heard about a healing today. He's Jehovah, uh, Jehovah, Raha, Roha, Raha. What are the clinics that are named after that attribute of God? What are they called? May no, not Mayo. What are they? I can't get it. Nobody's helping me. You're supposed to be helping me here. Jehovah Roha, Raha. I think I've heard it both ways. Yeah, got Raha over here, Roha over here. You guys can fight it out at the end. And we'll try to resolve that conflict before we go home today. <laughs> oh, dear. We already heard about that. But Jehovah Jireh. And somebody said that one right away because that's the one you've held on to. The Lord who provides. And, and, and so when we realize this is who God is, God who heals, the Lord who provides, that whenever we feel anxiety coming on, we need to look at that fear in light of who God is. In fact, we need to to consider the size of our problem next to the greatness of God and allow that that problem to become really, 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 really small. And that's why the old-timers love to quote Psalm 50, verse 10, where the Bible says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which means God has enough. And we can rest in that, that kind of confidence. And, and honestly, that's why many, many people in the church love to tithe to the church without doing a message on giving, that it's not a law thing for them at all, but it's an, an awesome privilege for them because every time they do that, they're celebrating, I know exactly where everything comes from. <laughs> Listen to Philippians 4.19. In fact, 
Uh, let me just give you a little bit of, uh, at a time, and you say it with me. Sorry about the PowerPoint today, but it's okay. Maybe it's a distraction to have that PowerPoint there, and maybe today you're hearing a little more clearly. But say this with me. I'll just give it to you a little bit at a time. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Yeah, my God shall supply. So prayer, general term with the spirit of worship. The, the word petition, this is an earnest plea. For, for help. It's, it's not rooted in fleshy desire. It's, it's a Holy Spirit unction with great intensity as one spirit-filled dear lady puts it. And several of us in this room know who this dear lady is because she's part of our past. Michael Brown knows her, right? Jesus, pay attention. <laughs> Still hear her saying that today. Right? But we know God hears us again. So, so it's not based on how many words we have to say, but it's kind of in this position that we realize all through life that things go better with God. And without God's help, we're in deep trouble. But walking with the Lord, <laughs> when I walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on my way. While I do his good will, he abides with me still, and to all who will trust and obey. Yeah, yeah, petition the Lord. We need the Lord's help. The last one is thanksgiving. And I, 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 as soon as I wrote the word thanksgiving, I had to go to the ten lepers. Do you know the story? Ten lepers come to Jesus. They all need healing. It's a skin disease, a terrible skin disease, disease that people were so afraid of it, kind of like Ebola, that they would ban those people from the city. These, these guys were desperate. So these 10 lepers come to Jesus, and Jesus blesses them, and as they're going away, they're all healed. Now, one of those lepers came back to thank Jesus. Just one. They're all healed, but one comes back. And so Jesus looks at this one guy and he says this, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God, to give praise to God, except for this foreigner? Not only the guy rejected for leprosy, but rejected by nationality. This one guy comes back. And so right there we can see Thanksgiving is simply acknowledging God's hands in the affairs of life. It's good to practice giving thanks, not just on Thanksgiving Day, not just once in a while, but throughout the day. Wow, God, look at this. Oh, I have that. I do have clothes to wear. Oh, I do have a place to live. Oh, there is food today. Thank you, God. And look what it says. Hear it again. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. Do you realize that word guard describes a Roman garrison, a Roman military standing post in your defense? Right? This will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't think that requires any explanation, but we need to hear it again. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. 
the big stuff, the little stuff? Is it true of you? It's true of me. It's the little stuff that messes me up. It's the little stuff that gets my goat. Trips me up. Give it all to the Lord. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And, and, and here's a quote that a mentor of mine gave me a long, long time ago. And I need to say it again. And if I need to say it again, you need to hear it again. You ready for this? At the end of the day, after you've done everything you can do, lay your head down and go to sleep. God's still awake, and he's still working. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Yeah, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. God, I hope somebody has heard that word today and they're experiencing your peace right now in a beautiful way. Why do we worry? You asked that question in Matthew 6. Why do we fret? Why do we worry? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Long before you ask. Consider the lily of the field. It doesn't labor. It doesn't spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. <laughs> Don't worry. Instead, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be supplied by your Father. Yeah, work hard, but don't work in fear. Don't work in strife. Work in confidence that God knows your need and he's responding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. On this Thanksgiving week, we love you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be available over here. We're going to worship the Lord for a few moments. If you have a need and you need some help, you know, the best thing to do is get the people around you to pray with you. That's good. These guys are ready and willing. and They have faith. If you're giving your life to Christ today, call it on the name of the Lord. Let somebody know. Um, but let these guys know, too. And let them share in your victory. It's awesome. Yeah, let's worship the Lord.